0: This podcast is brought to you by Mediteorate.
1: Welcome to Off the Cuff with Kel Conversations from the Frontline, a podcast and live show for survivors and the leaders who support them. I'm your host Kelly Humphreys, a survivor of child sexual abuse, advocate, author, speaker, ambassador, a lover of all things outdoors with over 15 years of law enforcement experience. Please support me in my mission to break cycles of abuse and trauma. You can help by donating to my Patreon account at patreon.com forward slash Kelly Humphreys. Hello guys and welcome to another episode of Off the Cuff with Kel. Uh, Thank you for joining us if you're on tonight. Um, I am so excited because I've got my beautiful friend Alison Gill uh, here with me tonight. How are you going Alison?
0: I'm really well. I'm
1: super excited
0: to be off the cuff with Gail. Oh, you look, anything can happen. <laughs> yeah, I'm, fe- I'm feeling that. I'm feeling that.
1: Yeah, Any guys, totally unscripted. We don't have a script. We're just off the cuff, which, you know, um, if you've been watching, you know that that's how I like it. It's raw, authentic, and um, Alison has got a- an incredible story becoming the leader that she is, currently the CEO of Bravehearts. Um, which uh, if you know me, you know that I'm an ambassador for Bravehearts. I love the work they do um, in helping protect our most vulnerable kids. Um, But Alison's got an incredible story of how she got to where she is. And uh, we're going to have a bit of a different conversation tonight. I I probably think those of you who are are watching might be thinking it's going to be more of a corporate leadership thing, but we're going to go a little bit deeper than that. So um, I'm putting Alison on the spot tonight. Mm-hmm. um i feel that i feel on the <laughs> spot <laughs> on the spot and off the cuff yeah, no, you, better, you better. <laughs> um yeah. guys as you know we do talk about child sexual abuse so i'm just putting out a bit of a trigger warning so just be advised that some of the content we will speak about tonight may be triggering so there are some Support numbers on my website, kellyhumphreys.com, if you do need support. And there's also support numbers on the Brave Hearts website. So um, there, I'll put the Brave Hearts website up a little bit later as we get through the, the show tonight. But, Alison, I just want to hand over to you. Um, I would love you to share with us about the beginning of the Alison G. Yeah. Tell us wow. about it. This is like about a 10 year um,
0: and you introduced it as an incredible story. So now I'm a bit nervous because I'm thinking it's a really incredible. I'm not sure. Um, yeah. So uh, a shout out. I'm currently on uh, Yugamber, the land of the Yugambeh language peoples. So I just wanted to acknowledge... Um, those people of that land and um, pay respect. I also want to acknowledge any survivors of child sexual abuse that might be listening tonight. Um, We see you and we hear you and we admire you. And um, yeah, I just want to pay respect to your journey, Um, whether you're going through that now or inquiring about it or whatever stage you're at, we hear you and see you. So thank you for joining us tonight. Um, I'm the CEO of Bravehearts and that's the best sentence I think that I've ever had to say or make an announcement of in my life and I've had a, on paper what some would say a really um, wonderful and exciting career. I had jobs that uh, with one network, a radio and TV network in Australia that took me all over Australia and all over the world for 15-plus um, years Um, And my job in a nutshell was basically anything that the CEO, if he had a bright idea about something, he just sent me to go and execute that. So I've opened call centres. I've, you know, gone and managed programs on uh, radio stations in America and in Australia and and done all kinds of really exciting things, organised dinners on the Great Wall of China. It was just... (laughs) um, I'm sure no one, uh, no government officials, listening, but we did have to make some pretty interesting bribes to the Chinese government to get all of our media people on the Chinese Wall, uh, the Great Wall of China. So, I have had a really interesting and varied career in media. That's been most of my life. There's more. There's more stories. There's more anything that you can imagine. Um, really exciting trips. Really wonderful. Parties and airline hangars and meeting lots of celebrities and all the kinds of things that you think, wow, that's the job of a lifetime and and it was for a long time or at least I thought it was for a long time and um, it turns out when I reflect, um, the job of a lifetime for me is the job that I currently have Um, and that is protecting. Australian children from child sexual abuse and working relentlessly for prevention and working relentlessly for treatment. I I can't think of a better reason to get up out of bed every day. But when I was uh, in my previous life, as I like to call it, um, one of the things that was really obvious was what I thought was really great about the culture. So if if I was doing an off the cuff with um, Kelly Humphrey's Maybe seven or eight years ago, Um, I've been at Bravehearts now for almost five years. I'm a couple of months off being there for five years. I would have, uh, I would have, I I know I definitely do an off the cuff because I still would think you're the coolest thing around.
1: Oh, stop
0: it! (laughs) I would have said, you know, I've got this job. It's exciting. It's incredible. It's, you know, it's fun. It's engaging. It's, and what it really was was kind of. All those things, but wrapped up in a little bit of a trauma bow,
1: <laughs>
0: right? <laughs> because um, people you make that sound pretty. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there was, you know, there was no obvious um, connection or lens on trauma or anything that people brought to work. It was, you know, you kind of ride or die. It's like a bit like a cult. Um, yeah. You know, it was one of those kind of companies where, and I'm a company girl, I'm a company girl at Bravehearts. I just happen to be the CEO of Bravehearts. But I do everything through the filter of what's at the best interest of the people that we're trying to protect and their little ones. That's what I, that's my view. But in this particular um, organisation, you know, it was it was tough for an, a number of reasons. And I'm happy to go into some of that if you if you would like yeah, me to well, look I talk mean talk about the culture and whatnot.
1: Yeah, look, we gotta learn from um, you know the journey before us mm. and I I know myself just from looking around and looking at what organizations are doing, you know, we are more aware, but you <laughs> you know, I'm I've just hit my forties and you know, I'm looking back and I'm thinking, holy hell, like it's been really hard to get here and mm. you know even just today, as we were just sharing before we started talking, like our bodies know the trauma and it stays with us. And, you know, we don't know until we know. And as Maya Angelo says, when you know better, you do better, right? Yeah, Uh, totally. And and I think that we're getting there um, very slowly and far too late for many of us. Um, but not too late for our next generation. And I think that that's the most important legacy that we can leave. So, you know, um, I know that when we, when we talked about you coming on, you had talked a lot about, um, and look, I'm not turning this into a gender thing or anything, but it is difficult and it has been difficult for a long time and it's still difficult, particularly, um, I mean, Australia is one thing, but in countries around the world, um, and I know that we've got listeners all over the world. Mm -hmm. Um. It's it's hard. So I'd love to take some wisdom from you, Alison, about your journey coming through and having to battle some of this, you know, male dominated industries and coming through with, you know, the traumas that you've had. And yeah. you and you're pretty trauma bow. <laughs> um and to get to get where you are now, you know, like you've you've done so yeah. well and you you well, lead brave hearts beautifully. Um you know, it's a tough industry. It's a really tough industry, and it's changing so quickly. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think it really does matter those steps that you talk. So
0: yeah, I think if I look back at that time, I mean, it was just a given too. And and again, we're not we're not gender bashing because. I love men, I love I love everyone. So it doesn't matter. What I think is really difficult sometimes is when there is only one gender that dominates no matter what that is. And in this particular fast-paced, very commercial-driven the culture was, you know, competitive um like I said before, you know, win at all costs and 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 what was the value was the win that you had two minutes ago, and you were defined by that. So you're on this journey of just constant winning, fighting, and then if you put in another layer of that, and if we just use two genders, for example, male and female, it it was there was such disparity. It you know at one stage I was one of two women who were on a senior executive leadership group for this particular organization for the whole country, and you know that is less than you know 12 years ago that's that was an incredible thing and and for me and my colleagues my female colleagues it was a constant you were constantly aware that everything was just a little bit different for you So what that meant was, you know, I had to plan my interactions with my colleagues. You know, I wasn't everyone's little sister or big sister. I wasn't their, you know, sexual interest. It wasn't, you know, being coquettish or flirting. It wasn't you're my brother. It wasn't you're more dominant than me. It was just always having to consider the place because the the depth and breadth of that particular gender's presence everywhere was, was really, um, yeah, it was really full on. It was very full on. And when I came over to Brave Hearts, eventually, this is after like many, many years working um, in media, it was very interesting because people were talking about how they were feeling And other people were asking other people, how are you feeling about this? And how are you? And and there was this focus on looking after yourself. And for me, that was traumatic in itself because I had been wired since I was, I did work experience with this organisation and then went back to the radio station that I did work experience at and became the manager. And then, had to, you know, kind of eventually, oddly let go of the man that was the manager when he, when I was there as a young person doing work experience. So I'm sorry,
1: that would have probably felt really good, right?
0: <laughs> actually, interestingly, no, because he was a good bloke. Oh, and and, um, but, you know, there were plenty more blokes to back him up. <laughs> we had blokes, there were blokes seeping out of the walls, you know. So it was, um, Look, and it was a highly charged environment. When I look back, I think when um I look back on my time in media and and this is the first time I've I've actually said this in a public forum, but you know, that industry was was ready for its own, is ready for its own Me Too movement. You know, I, I think about the times where I I was totally compromised. Every you know, felt like Um, you know, I can't speak up about this behaviour, I can't, I've just got to keep going, keep going, keep going. This is normal, it's okay, this is what happens. And I've been thinking a lot about that lately because, um, well, because we were speaking about it earlier and I've been thinking more and more about it. And I keep thinking, you know, in the the space where we come back to child sexual abuse and how we really, really want to encourage you know, these little people to speak up and and yet we're kind of asking them to do things that me, I mean, I'm 52, I can't remember now, I'm 52 maybe now. No. This year, one of the two, I've decided to forget. I'm either 52 or 53 but, I, you know, it wasn't that long ago when I was compromising myself all the time and you know we're asking young people and little kids to speak up and I know a lot of you know adult women or men in in um, circumstances where they're not in control and they can't do it so it's a big ask um which is why it's just so important as you know that everybody around the child is really um really tune and really understands and really supportive and really gets what it is that the child's trying to talk about. So the onus just isn't on the child. But yeah. um, it was interesting being a leader in that environment because I became one very young. I was I was looking after and managing my first radio station when I was 29, 30, just turned. And if you had a list of these are the top 10 things you need to do as a leader. I was doing all of those and they were probably the things that you shouldn't be doing mm. because, um, you know, like most people, I was influenced by pop culture. I just thought I had to be part and for anyone who is my vintage or understands these shows, there was a woman on television and she was successful. Her name was Alexis. She was on a show called Dynasty. She was played by Joan Collins and she was you know, she was a bitch and you had to be a bitch, you know what I mean, to get anything right. done. You had to be, that's what you had to do. In Australia we had a show called Sons and Daughters and the lead villain was Pat the Rat, you know, like all, <laughs> of, these, all of these women that were doing things or being successful, it had to come at the cost of them being gentle or vulnerable mm. or informed about trauma or being you know having trauma themselves so my kind of blueprint was a little bit Heather Locklear out of Melrose Place you know just get it done get it off your chest and get it off my desk you know these kind of you know like I was I really really look back at young Alison and think crikey what a wanker But you you just kind of you know were brought up by television, and you thought this is what it means to be a leader, and this is that was the kind of greed is good time and Wall Street, and you know like yeah, it was that's how you
1: know people were on board with me or they weren't, and you know it's it's interesting you say that, and I kind of just want to go back to the part where you're talking about um, you know we're expecting our little people to be able to talk up. Mm-hmm. But for so long, the model that we've had is to push it all down and harden up, right? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. And and that's how I, you know, got through. And it was just my courage, my courageous leadership was um, my my internal decisions and the, the personal leadership that I took was like, come on, Humphries, you can fucking do better than that. Like, And I would beat myself yeah. up internally so much so that, I I silenced myself but I just pushed myself into the ground like I drove myself like I've got a huge track record of success in athletics and my studies and all oh, that yeah. sort of stuff but at what cost to me and, and at the end of the day now that I'm, I'm reflecting back and I'm going hang on intellectually I understand all this stuff but my body is a mess mm. you know and so we're paying now for this and we're paying for it in our children and you know, it's only now that we've had the the Australian Child Maltreatment Study that we're seeing, you know, a little bit more what yeah. I think is a true reflection of where things are at. Because I think the previous statistics right. don't indicate where we we truly are. I've had survivors, Alison, that I've had following me since 2015, and you know, I'm only hearing from them now. And they said, "I've been following you for this long, but I was too scared to even like the button because I didn't want people to know." You know, and so this is what we've been modeled, and this is, um, I guess, the leadership. And we're looking at our government, so t- our top leadership, all the way down to how we lead our own personal lives. You know, and it, it's on us to change the status quo, to change how this looks now, um, and not to be compromising ourselves. And I know that you, you're sharing um, how you've you've had to do this in your in your walk. And I I just, I think when we spoke, when I wanted you to ask if you could do this, um, I was kind of a bit like, oh, wow, that's, that's crazy that you've had to go through such big steps. And I just wondered how the hell you did it because I, I just, women were just not yeah. leaders. And even now, like in my organizations where I work, even in the police, there's so few female leaders, they're coming, <laughs> you know, but it's yeah. just. It's only. They are. I think they are. Super, yeah. Yeah, and we got to celebrate our women leaders. You know. Sorry.
0: <laughs> no, no, we we do, and I and I think in this sector we actually have quite a lot, which is. Oh, we do. Yes. Uh, yeah, great. You know, in and in fact, the the pendulum swings completely the other way, and it, by and large, seven to eight um, leaders that I meet uh, are women, and. It, we need to kind of get them out of the boardroom because there's a lot of focus on making sure that there's board quotas and that's important. But women actually on the ground running the organisations um, that are reporting into the board is actually really important too because they're the ones making the line share of the decisions about the organisations and and the people and they're the ones that are coming into contact with the people all the time. So I think when I started my leadership journey. It was, you know, what were the attributes that they were looking for? And I think that it was kind of, you know, I was outspoken. I've always been an energetic advocate for getting the job done, whatever that was, whether that was for making money for faceless men on and shareholders, whatever. Um, and I, I have that same um, drive here at Bravehearts. But I think if you were a female leader, you had this secondary job in the background, which is like making sure, you know, wonder what they think of me. You know, like men, these guys didn't care less. They weren't even, that wasn't a focus for them. And I think that we're coming out of that now, and it's only in the last really seven or eight years that, I've really appreciated leadership through servitude. So my job is to clear the path for the people that work at Braveheart so they can get their job done. And it's not about this hierarchical, I mean, you have to have a CEO, you have to have someone that, um, you know, and quite often I, I either have to take the hit or I have to be the bad guy or I have to be the person that makes the tough decisions or occasionally I'm, you know, lifted up as someone who does a great job. But mostly it's about the the, the people that are doing the work day in and day out. It's mm-hmm. about them and creating an environment where they really can thrive. And, yeah. and that includes being really trauma-informed. And that's not just exclusive to Braveheart.
1: No, that's um, got to be everywhere, doesn't it? And we, we have um, to change because a lot of organisations are on their back foot, I think, and um, it doesn't have to be difficult. It doesn't have to be, like, a scary thing. I think people um, make it to be this big, tough, oh, we have to do this and tick this box and tick that box. Yeah. And it's just about, to me, it's just about being a good human, asking questions and, um, you know, that little bit of awareness goes a really long way. Oh, and really yeah. actively listening. And I think that,
0: you know, there's this great exercise that when I first meet people, I I do with them around what active listening is. So we, we've become a society of people that make a lot of statements. So um, Facebook is a really good example of that. So someone will post a photo and they have an injured leg, they've been bike riding, and they take a photo of the, the gash on their leg and they're bleeding. And, you know, the first couple of comments are, you know, I'm going to go from one side here to right to the other. But the first couple of comments are like, oh, that looks so painful. It's like one or two comments before you, you know, empathy moves and it becomes about the person who's commenting. So they'll say, that looks like when I did it. Yeah. Right down to the very, you know, end where it will say, try having a baby. And, you know, so <laughs> we as, um, you know, I, I urge anyone who's listening, if at all anyone is, but, you know, they might replay it and listen, right? Yeah, yeah. No, we've got people watching. Um, the live audience. <laughs> if you go into if you go into a lunchroom in any organization and you just listen to what I like to call the tennis match, right? Like, so let's say I've come, <laughs> I've come I know
1: what you're talking about. Now you're saying this, I can picture the, the day room. I'm like, yeah.
0: Oh yeah. So I walk in and someone's just come back from Bali, right? So they're just gonna say, I've just come back from Bali. And the first thing someone says is, I went to Bali. And then it's like, but no one says, really? What was your favourite thing about Bali? So this idea where you you ask three questions of someone before you make a statement about yourself is a really good and very difficult thing to master. It took a long time to master because active listening is about, it's not waiting to speak. It's not about being quiet. It's actually being a participant, but being curious and really wanting to get to know that person better. People love to be asked questions about themselves. They, you know, if someone's like, "Sit down. Tell me all about you. Tell me this. Tell me that." I mean, that person that creates a little bit of white magic. You know, people then see you as someone who's really genuinely interested and if you can transform or transport that skill into your interactions. Um, now, I'm not suggesting I can do that. Some days are really easy. Other days are really difficult. And I'm kind of in, I have to fight the inner Alison, which is like, don't bore us, get to the chorus. I just need to know what's means. <laughs> so, I mean, well, she's alive and well, too. I mean, I, my professional life, She's a she's a side of my personality, you know, that one that needs to understand. Okay, this person isn't. I, I want to
1: ask, how many of them are there, Alison? <laughs> how many are there?
0: How many? <laughs> yeah, there's a few. There's a few. How many alter egos? That's a whole yeah, other, yeah. a whole other live stream. I've I've pretty got yeah. I, I moved somewhere. <laughs> I moved somewhere between Alexis Carrington Colby from the show Dynasty, and you know maria from the sound of music like i can be really (laughs) have tons of empathy or but you know i found a nice balance and that's where the trauma informed stuff is really really important because you can never make any assumptions about anybody's experience you can never you know i just because you ask someone how are you going and they respond i'm good um that doesn't mean that at all. That that could mean that, but it doesn't necessarily mean that. It's all the other things that, you you know, you, you've really got to pay attention to with people. You know, um, their physicality, interestingly, you know, the body remembers, the body remembers Absolutely. trauma. And um, it, it, what's happening outside of just the the normal things that you can expect when people have gone through trauma. And you're right, the um, child maltreatment study has you know, not vindicated us all in this sector, but we've known that the knock-on effects, mm. the impacts to the person are not just as you might imagine. They are far-reaching. They cross numerous socio-economic. They cross numerous um, uh, well-being boundaries for people, um, health, uh, and uh, it's. It's staggering, not just mental health, physical health, that whole person's um, life is changed dramatically. So having an understanding of the the principles of trauma-informed care, I, I like to run through that. I like to think about is this a safe situation? If I'd implanted those principles now around collaboration and choice and safety and empowerment and trustworthiness, I, if I took that right now and took it to um, my previous work environment, I'm really frightened for her. Like I know that sounds, um, you know, that's a, but, but that's what I grew up in professionally. So yeah. I, I owe a lot to that, to be able to reflect. That hasn't um, just been because I've been at Bravehearts, but Bravehearts has given me or put the importance on me being curious about it. And that's led me
1: to go. Yeah. And and I guess that on, on that note, too, like for those of us, like for me, for example, leading in my space, I'm a, I'm a survivor with a lived experience working with survivors. And uh, many of us, many of us who've got a lived experience of working in the child protection industry are, uh, um, you know, trying to make a difference because, you know, we don't want things to happen to others that happen to us, you know, we're all out there trying to make a difference. And vicarious trauma is a, is a real thing. And it's not just the people that come and seek help. It's you as the staff member, you as the employee, you as the leader, um, trying to, you know, make these big decisions and, and do things when sometimes it's really hard, because you're still reflecting on your own journey, and you're still learning from your own journey. And some lessons are like a slap in the face and some lessons you just keep having to learn over and over again and you think oh my god you know um, i know and the only constant
0: is change (laughs) the the only constant is change and you know i i never thought i'd ever want to say this but i would love to be out of a job i would love to be out of a job but it feels that you know we are at, we are now only just scratching the surface like that child maltreatment study mm-hmm. the statistic the brave says we always knew that one in 5 children being sexually harmed before they turn 18 we knew that that probably wasn't
1: it. wasn't really, yeah
0: you know That's so really what
1: we knew that we, we know that people don't talk right we only know that 10% yeah. talk so we got to and make an
0: assumption you know now it's one in four and you know, you think all the work you do, you know, I still come across people. I did a I did a presentation in Sydney in front of 150 frontline doctors. Yeah. And the doctors, these other doctors, after I finished, I went to the bathroom and they followed me in. And I mean, it was appropriate as in to the <laughs> reason. And And said we had no idea it was so prevalent. And they're people who are at the front line. So there is just so much work for everyone to keep doing, educating, empowering, talking to survivors, understanding, you know, the work that you do, Kel, you know, being um, and not everyone can do that, you know. So this is not um, this is about if you can go forth. I mean, if you can't, that's okay too. But, you know, for, this, is, this is your journey, That you, this is how you're going to make a difference, Kel. Okay, you're going to yeah. get up and talk about your story and just if, if that inspires, if that helps just one little person um, or someone who is in charge of a little person and goes, because, you know, we're talking about in a lot of cases good parents who just mm-hmm. don't
1: know, just no, don't that's know. Right. And, and, look, it's, it's really hard to understand sometimes, but it's particularly familial abuse, which is obviously um, my journey, the 89% where the, you know, abuser is known to the child. Um, but, you know, I think we've always known um, that it's been the stats are underrepresenting what's actually occurring. You know, it's actually one in three girls and one in five boys now. And, you know, I, I have to think, though, and I want to give credit to any child protection experts and, and those who are working with children, um, you know, a bit of love and, some, and just to thank you uh, for the work that you're doing, because this stats actually can't be reflected honestly without the work that you're doing, without the awareness, without the education, without changing the stigma, without, you know, breaking open these cycles, without doing this hard stuff. That people don't report right so we are making it safer we are making people more aware that they can speak out safely and um, if you're out there and you're doing the hard yards I just want to say as a survivor and on behalf of survivors I thank you for the work that you're doing because it really does matter it matters so much not just for me but for the next generation our little people coming through because they need your voice particularly when they don't have a voice for themselves you know um and and that's that's the that's the mission that i have that's the the purpose that i've embraced um you know it does i mean it it helps me to heal but you know it also makes a difference and i know because i hear from you guys and i love your feedback um you know and if you are enjoying this guys there is extra content things available through patreon so just jump on that but um You know, there is so much work to be doing. And as Alison has said, like, we all have a role to play. Um, And courageous leadership means sometimes doing the stuff that you don't necessarily want to do, the hard stuff. And, you know, if you're a parent, courageous leadership looks like taking that step and, you know, pulling your child aside and having that conversation that you don't want to have, right? You don't want to talk about the penis and the vagina, but you need to, all right? Um, you know so courageous leadership doesn't have to be uh, an organization courageous leadership is leading your family it's leading your children it's leading your home your school your workplace your wherever you are we are all leaders and when we embrace that and we make that decision we empower ourselves and we can all make a huge difference to the people in our life if we all did that I dare say our statistics would look a lot better. So I'm encouraging you and giving you a kick in the pants at the same time. Um, You can do it and, you know, there's lots of people around who can support if you're not sure how to have these conversations. Bravehearts has got a billion resources. Yeah, Um, we do indeed. We do. Yeah, conversation starters, ditto. Yeah,
0: if you head to the Bravehearts website, which is braveheartsalloneword.org.au, you can click on our resource resources link, and you'll see lots of um, research papers, but resources for parents, and you know some recommended reading. I think that you know when I first started at Bravehearts, I wanted to do what I like to call, say the barbecue test. You know, you're at a barbecue and People go, what is it that you do for a living? And I work in child protection. I work for a child protection organisation. I now say I work for Bravehearts and every day I go to work to prevent and treat child sexual abuse. That is my job. That's what I want to do. I don't want to normalise the crime. I want to normalise talking about it because when you say child sexual abuse, for a lot of people who are parents who may not have ever um, is it's not known to them or it hasn't happened in their family to their knowledge at the time there is a sense of kind of shame this is the thing that's holding them back from having these discussions with their kids because they think that they're introducing it to them and it and it just isn't the case. You know, children are on these devices from the time, you know, seven, eight. They're now building strollers. Strollers exist with things to hold devices in them. They're the little, you know, they used to be stick your kid in front of the telly. Now it's gives give them a device. I mean, parents are the digital tourists and the kids are the natives and we have to get that swapped around. You have to get confident about understanding who's talking to your kids understand changes that you're seeing not just online but it could be that there are things that are different about them when they've spent time with this person or something Um, and it's a fine line because we're not trying to turn you into people who are paranoid we are doing the same if you think about it you want to teach your kid how to cross the road you want to teach them how to be safe with people without putting that onus on them and also creating an environment where they can speak up and say, that person gives me funny feelings. And, and for parents not to freak out, but to be curious about it and 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 just be aware and and understand. Because if we can educate if we can educate people around children and even children about this topic through you know they can become experienced by being educated rather than having experience um sorry being educated through experience if we can avoid someone having to experience this crime and and its many nuances then we can really make a difference and and make sure that people just Don't have to experience this trauma, it is life changing
1: trauma, as you know, Kel. I don't need to tell you that. No, and I and I get it, and I appreciate what you're saying because I think a lot of times, um, you know, and often parents be like, Oh, I I don't even know how to start that conversation, you know. Mm -hmm. And um, I want to say that kids are already asking the questions, they're already looking at things they shouldn't be looking at, uh and as young as three four years of age they're able to access devices now so as soon as your children are how to talk we should be talking to them about their body parts and their like the correct anatomical names i know it sounds goofy and weird and awkward but that's why this podcast exists is so we can actually open up big conversations around child sexual abuse um trauma childhood trauma and and it's it's You know, I I try my hardest to make this an easier conversation and, and not just an easy conversation to talk about because it's not always easy for me, particularly with my lived experience. But for you guys listening, you know, to just it's real, right? And it's real life. And we're constantly in positions where we go, oh, that's hard. So what we do is we get this little trauma response inside of us and we start freaking out. And I call it the shame wash. And we're like, oh, my God, you get the goosebumps. You're like, I can't talk about that. I'm not going to do that because maybe, you know, you've had your own experience, you're like, I'm not going to expose my child like you said, Alison. Yeah. Um, and, and then you don't say anything at all. But what you're actually doing is is, is you're not allowing or giving your child a language around uh, what that is in order to speak about it if it happens, right, because that's what happened to me. I didn't have a language. I was, I was you know, I didn't actually, the, the penny didn't drop until I was 12 and then it was already too late for yeah. me, right? So having these big conversations really matters and it's empowering. And that's your, you taking, uh, you know, a courageous step forward. And if you don't know seeking it, there's so many support groups online. Um, There's so many resources available to you. And if it's cyber safety stuff, the think you know, uh, Australian federal police has amazing resources. Um, But guys, to be honest, and I'm not trying to tell anyone suck eggs, but there's really no excuse and not educating your children anymore there is just so much information out there um, you know and if you want to know something and you don't want to go somewhere just ask me you know I'll tell you I'll tell you straight up um, and I'll be really bloody honest about it so um, it's it's on you and and I, I also want to say this to parents respectfully it's it is on you to teach your children child protective behaviors it's not a, up to the school it's not up to an organisation. It's not up to anyone. It is up to you um, to take this step, right, to create that environment at home uh, and encourage, and I want to say encourage brave conversations because that's when you, your child's going to be able to go out and say, hey, mom, like, what the hell's going on here? This this dude's just messaged me online or, you know, to be able to feel safe enough to come to you that you're not some prickly cactus that's going to bite when they're trying to ask you something um, really personal. So you know it's, you know, it's really- i don't
0: know if you'd
1: agree with this
0: i'm just thinking that quite often the person that's talking a lot to the child um is the perpetrator you know they're providing that's that right. you know kind of you can tell me anything that's environment right. yeah correct yeah. and and i can see you nodding so I know, I know that you know if you've got kids that are um let's say in either of those converse, um those scenarios if you've got you know the the perpetrator is having those intimate, supportive feedback. I'm I'm here for you. Kind of. You you want to be able to circum. You want to be able to cut through that. You want to be able to make sure that your child knows that to get those kind of supportive conversations, they can they can come to you even if they feel they've done something wrong. And online, the the perpetrators just work off shame and you know, because it could involve um, CSAM or imagery. So you want to be able to, as a parent, make sure that that child
1: has a soft place to land and they know it no matter what. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's unconditional. So, you know, when they do disclose, it's like, I love you. There's nothing that you can do that's going to make me upset with you, mm-hmm. um, you know, and and because often they fear that you're going to leave them. That's something the perpetrators yeah. said to them and say, like, if you talk about this, your mum's gonna leave, or your dad's gonna leave. You're not gonna have anyone. No one's gonna believe you. So it's kind of fed into them, and um, you know that shame. It keeps keeps the kids quiet. So um, I, I know this because it's my story, right? So yeah. I know it because it's the story of many survivors like myself. Um, and familial child sexual abuse is a little bit different. Um, you can't always escape it, right? Uh, you can't get away from it. It's in your home. It's It's there's massive amounts of betrayal, trauma and things like that, which if you go back through and we're up to episode seven now. um, But if you go back, there's some real um, big conversations that we've already had in this podcast. um, And moving forward, we're going to be having so much more. So we're not going to stop this conversation. This conversation has started and we're going to continue it. And I intend to make a big stand for the 89%. So you better be watching this space. (laughs) Yeah. And um, I mean, I uh, particularly,
0: I mean, that is the history of Bravehearts, too. Absolutely. this, This crime type, particularly when the offender is known, trusted, and often loved by the family, the impact of that is far reaching because the consequences the child takes on the impact of, but that's so and so's friend or brother or father or you know, what if that happened and and I you you know this from experience, Kel, that you know, that that is a lot that children have to let that is the, you know, that is the weight of all weights. Because yeah. and then to normally interact and it,
1: you know, I I can't imagine. Yeah, and and it's asking a lot of a child. I mean, I I remember so much about how I was thinking um, Mm -hmm. during those times, and a lot of it's in my book, um, Unscathed Beauty, which you can order from my website, but um, I I talk about the conversations I was having internally and about what I was thinking, and and you mentioned it before, we're having a lot of these conversations with the perpetrator, right? The Mm -hmm. perpetrator justifies their behaviour, which makes you feel makes you feel like you're doing the wrong thing or, uh, or or that, sorry, not that you're doing the wrong thing, but that you're doing the right thing because it's, you know, they, yeah. I spoke up and I said, oh, you know, I don't think this is right. And you say, well, don't you think that God wants us to love each other, right? So whatever you say, they manipulate to continue, obviously, the sexual offending. So, you know, children who are taking leadership and natural-born leaders are being shot down by these perpetrators and they're kept into this, kept in this, this cycle of, of, shame um and, and the offending continues so we've got to talk to our kids we've got to give them an empowering language we've got to be able to give them the words to use when something happens to say hey this is what's going on and you as a parent having done your education and some training you know what you need to do what steps you need to take and it's not so overwhelming that you feel completely frozen right there's there's resources yeah. there and there's things that you can do so um you know, and again, Bravehearts has got so much information on their website. So um, yeah, we are
0: definitely here. The team at Bravehearts are fantastic. They're quite possibly the best team I've ever worked with. <laughs> and I mean that. That sounds like I'm being like trite, I'm not. It's um it's an interesting shift having what on paper would look like the most incredible job in the world to actually doing something each and every day that could make a difference to one person and Mm -hmm. and there is nothing more important nothing more important than making sure that this crime
1: is eradicated that would be amazing um so if you are if you guys are out there and you are listening or watching um there's a donate to brave hearts qr code there so if you'd like to Help them out a little bit with, um, you know, your donations can help children get counselling and and support these young ones so they don't have to live with the trauma of this abuse. So um, if you guys can help out, that would be great. Um, Alison, I do want to ask you, I've got this question that I have to ask you, um, and that's why. Why Braveheart? What? Yeah. What's your why? So...
0: You know, straight away I wanted to say, well, why not, (laughs) right? Yeah. I would never, I I cannot think beyond, as I said before, you know, spending years and years thinking here's my list of the 10 things that really matter. Mm. When you work at Bravehearts, I work in the upstairs level. That's not a hierarchical thing. It's just that all our counseling rooms are downstairs. But when you walk up, when you're upstairs, you could be working anywhere because you could just be working anywhere. We could be a computer company, you know, it's admin offices like every other, like there's a HR person and finance and there's marketing. And we could be working on any product in any normal office anywhere in the world and the why for me is very occasionally when i go down to reception there's a child sitting in reception and it is for them because they are only there to receive counseling because they have been impacted and it is for that person that little one on that day and every day and that's the why and yes. i you know some days it's very tough sometimes there's work there's normal work pressures there's wonderful courageous leadership moments there's other moments when you think you haven't been that courageous in your leadership style uh-huh. there's days when everything's going great and you feel like you're on top of the world and everything is right but i think my experience is that the bar graph, it goes up and down in different departments. So, you know, it's it's a struggle sometimes to keep an even keel with how you are about your work. Um, you know, some aspects of Bravehearts will be just doing amazing and others will be tougher. And so trying to maintain a balance is really important. But whenever I feel like I need to just take a deep breath and get back to it. I just go to the waiting room and the chart the rooms are the chairs are small, they're little. That was actually bought by mistake. so it's quite actually interesting because parents sit in them too. <laughs> and um, yeah, if I need to kind of check myself, I, I do it for I do it for them. I do it for the little people that come to reception. Uh, I also do it for uh, the people that disclose for the first time later in life. I think adult survivors who, people, um, for example, if you look at the Royal Commission, people that got to sit in front of those commissioners and tell their story, some people for the first time in 60 years. Um, I do it for the life that they could have had. You know, I wonder what. I wonder what their life might have been like, and a lot of a lot of them are very successful. That's not what I'm saying, but there was a whole vast amount that um, you know trauma had been at the centre of their life.
1: Mm. And it's interesting you say that, though, Alison, because um, I we uh, maybe two episodes ago we did a lot of talking around grief, right? And there's a lot, of, particularly for, for survivors who really struggle with. Exactly what you just said. What, yeah,
0: what, what my, my life yeah. have been like, yeah, yeah.
1: And I often think the same thing, but then I'm like, well, I wouldn't be able to help all these people. Yeah, so correct. I mean, it's.
0: I've everyone, got to have something good
1: from this, right?
0: Yeah, it's um, it's not necessarily um a- around that so much. as is it is around the bravery that mm. one might have to come out and say their family might not have known yes. what been years and years. And if there's any part of me that that little person that's sitting in the waiting room, that question's taken away from them at some point, you know, in a different way. And we know that there's they have, you know, children have a much greater shot at living um as richer life as possible with effective family support really good advocates around them and counseling they can they can just have a shot at leading a rich and full life so
1: well I think it's really important Alison if I've got anything to say I did not get support young right Mm -hmm. I I'm sorry yeah. about that, Kel. I like to... Where was Bravehearts? ...muff ourselves around you doubly now. Yeah, but I guess the reason I'm saying that is not as a poor me statement or anything like that is not to say either. that the work is so valuable that you're doing because I didn't have strategies for so long. It's even now, like I'll I'll be completely transparent. I went to a psychologist today because I'm realising that my head and my body are not connected, Right. I'm very intellectual and you guys will hear I can talk to you about trauma, I can talk to you about all this stuff, but my body is a mess and those two things are not talking to each other, right? So I'm still learning, even though I've done the work, right? So um, I I didn't have those strategies to draw from, to recognise those things until, you know, probably the last 10 years as I've pushed in and I've written my book and I've talked to people and connected and done some work, right? Right. the work that you guys are doing and you know again looking after these little people so they do have strategies so they can be their own best leaders right it is so important and for parents protective parents like you have no idea how important those conversations are for when your little ones become big ones like me. They've got the skills and they'll be like, oh, I remember my mom said that. You, you know, you might have some argument or or whatever with your child trying to get the information across. Hey, oh, mom, I'm not th- talking about that. But they'll thank you later. Yeah. Right? You know, it's like me being a cop. I have these conversations with people all the time and they hate me for it. But then I know. I don't think they they hate you. No, they do, but then they come back and they thank me later after they've yelled at me. So
0: yeah, I think you think they might hate you for it,
1: but they don't. Oh look, taking it all in, you know. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely.
0: (laughs) It is. It takes. You know, courageous conversations are difficult, right? We know this. You know, we know in life that having a difficult conversation with someone. I will tell you this that the anticipation of anything is always worse than the reality when you have that courageous conversation. Yes. You I actually, hear also hear you, know, you know, a lot of people are worried about dying, but no one's ever died and come back after a significant amount of time, like a couple of years, and said, guess what? It's awful. <laughs> Don't do it. So I, I think that... You, you know, you anticipate any courageous conversation. I think if you're someone talking to a kid about personal safety, that's a very courageous thing to do. I think that is uh, a leadership thing to do, taking lead in that. And I think you'll find that your your children go, yeah, righto, okay, I'll tell you if I get yeah. something. You know, you'll actually find an audience that is uh, waiting for you to have that conversation.
1: Yeah and and it's true and sometimes it just takes starting the conversation for that conversation to open up. So yeah,
0: true. Indeed. Yeah. And you know if if anyone is in leadership roles listening to this, you you know that the idea that you have to be courageous but curious, getting those two together and and when you're asking people you know, things that you need more information on. It's really about helping you understand. So when you get objections to things from people, it's just really they just need more information. They just need to be given the full picture. And because we have so many different personality types and so many different styles right across not just Bravehearts but every, you know, in policing, you've got all different types, um, really really trying to remove any kind of conflict by getting to understand the kind of person that you're dealing with and making a few compromises you know like i said before i used to be like don't bore us, get to the chorus like i wasn't the person that said hi how are the kids how was the weekend what do you do like i just need the information to make the decisions that's what
1: I do that too, Alison. It's a police tactic, right? Like I just get the information I need and it doesn't matter about anything else and I get into really yeah. bad habits. But every time I talk to you, I just want to say I notice that you do that and it's really good yeah. we just have the best conversations. Tell me more about
0: this. You know, like help me understand. So actually I've, um, you know, learned a lot about compromise but it hasn't been compromise. It's now, you know, I would have called it compromise years ago. It's actually adjusting. I've adjusted, um, turned me down so I could hear others. And that's, um, yeah, both internally and externally, <laughs> you so- know, not my many personalities. I just mean turn down my style so it doesn't
1: have to be the one that leads the conversation. I think, though, do you think, does that come from having to push your way through leadership to be heard? Like do you think that that's a... Because yeah, like, I think- as a- survivor like trying to speak up and stuff like that now i sometimes feel like i overcompensate because i i didn't feel like i could talk before if that makes sense
0: yeah i think if you're given a platform and you think i could never speak before so now i'm going to i mean (laughs) i i would overstay my welcome in the speaking up (laughs) stage any chance i could get because you know, this was if you asked a question, you you were told that's a non-question from a non-person. You know, like it's pretty. It was pretty, yeah. It's pretty brutal. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's pretty brutal. Um, so you know, I and I was okay. I'm back again. You know, it was just yeah. just uh, pushing, 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 pushing until you know, and making sure that none of that. And some of it did rub off on me. I mean, that's the other thing. You know, you, that's the bit that I say, you know, sometimes organizations and big moving, you know, we see that a lot in people that work for multinationals or really big organizations, you know, their language becomes your language. And, you know, I professionally was a leader and was groomed in that organization. So I, that's, that forever was how I was going to lead. And, um, it turns out that my true leadership style is nothing like that. It has components of that um, that get results, but not at the cost of other people, which is really important. Because you know, I'm not kind of saying to everybody, "You guys go ahead, I'm right behind you." As everyone walks off the cliff, you know, yeah. like I'm kind of like, "Let's go, follow me." And yeah. um, that was an, that was an interesting adjustment. You know, what I don't there doesn't have to be casualties all the time. You can yeah. also do so much consulting with people, though. This is the fine line. You can do so much by consensus that you become paralysed and you can't make a decision. You know, so it, it, if you,
1: I feel like that all the time. Up, <laughs> lead an organization.
0: I'm now going to seek the input of 25 people to help me make this one decision. That that's not also what you're there for. You're there to make those decisions. So you have to kind yeah. of. Uh, temper how much consulting you do because you end up kind of going, Oh gosh, because someone is always going to have a lower satisfaction at the outcome level mm. than someone else. It's and-
1: interesting you're saying that. I just want to, I just have this thing in my head that says people pleasing, right? Mm. And particularly those of us with lived experience are people pleasers. So we take a long time to make decisions. We want to make sure everybody's happy. Okay um and we sit there like you say and we get stuck and then nothing gets done i do it all the time so i'm just saying i, I just could feel you in that i was like oh okay i, I totally get that
0: i, I do did. have some non-negotiables which are really good and i think if you set those if you set everything through the filter of some of those um and one of the things i think about Bravehearts is how would how would this be this outward facing how would a survivor see this
1: How
0: you know? So you have to have considerations. There's a there's a number of cohorts like children, survivors. We look at as like if a survivor looked at this, what would they think? And 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 that's a pretty good you know. I have a a a few non negotiables around you know rules
1: for work, which are really important. Like it's going to be one of my questions for you, but you're answering answering it now anyway, so it's good. I've got a couple. I've got a couple.
0: Um, try not to get personal with anyone ever. It's never personal. You know, whenever you're having to have courageous or difficult conversations, it's not a personal thing. And don't make it personal because that's that's difficult for people. That's not about not having relationships. It's when you have to have difficult conversations, you don't ever get personal. Mm. Um, and I, I think that when you have a problem at work and... It's really difficult as a leader when people come to you and go, Hey, can can I just talk to you about this? But I don't want you to say anything. <laughs> and, and what's really difficult about that is I become this vegetable that just keeps all of these anxious anxieties that everyone feels about work. And yet I am disabled. I'm not able to do anything. My, mm. my, my hands are tight. So I think as as a leader, I I may miss some stuff because i like people to come and tell my job is to take action and make it better for them so it's sometimes it can be difficult because i say you know that that's really hard we're just going to get into this half hour long discussion which is kind of a bit gossipy so like what's the outcome what do we need to do i'm i'm into
1: getting stuff actioned for people so that's why i come to you for those tough conversations Alison. (laughs) um yeah guys we're we're there's so many things, actually. I, I still have like this long list of things oh. I wanted to talk to Alison about, so we might have to do another leadership. Part uh, two. Part, part two. Um, but, um, guys, if you uh, would like to donate to Brave Hearts, I'll just pop that QR code back up again for you. Um, they always need your support and, you know, your money can go directly to supporting kids with their counselling. Um but there's lots of projects that Bravehearts uh, does, so your support is always needed. Um, I, uh, Patreon, guys, so if you do like the content, um, I'd love you to support me um, by subscribing monthly. So Alison and I might have another conversation, but if you want to hear that, you might have to join the membership community. So we'll see about that. But Sign um, me up. That's, that's right. right. Patreon.com forward slash Kelly Humphreys. Uh, your support does help me keep this live show going. Um, so, you know, the work is important and the messages are getting out there. So, yeah, if you can't help, I'd really appreciate it. Thank you guys all for joining tonight. Thank you, Alison, um, for being Thank here. You for
0: Thank you for the work that you do. You're a, a wonderful Bravehearts ambassador. I'm really proud about um, not just how you are a great ambassador for us, but, you know, you are relentless about making this topic you know the topic for people you are a great advocate for survivors you're a great advocate for police <laughs> you're a great uh, an inspirational young woman who's doing just fantastic work so where I'm really pleased that we're partnered but above all that you're also just a uh, a wonderful wonderful woman Kelly so can you you've just
1: got stop there? My- Thank you. I'm never going taking compliments, Alison, but I appreciate it and I appreciate your support. Alison's an incredible yeah, mentor and friend. Um, and she's someone that I can go to when I need a butt kicking or when I need to see things more clearly. Uh, she's exceptional. So I do appreciate your insight tonight and being the bold lady that you are. Um, guys, thank you so much again and we'll see you in two weeks. Thank you. Yay. Thank you, Kelly. Thank you, everybody. Have a good night. Bye. Thank you so much for being part of Off the Cuff with Kel. Breaking cycles of abuse and trauma is not something that can be done alone and requires all of us working together. Your support makes a huge difference. If you've found the content of this podcast valuable, you can support my work through my Patreon account at patreon.com forward slash Kelly Humphreys. You can also find me on all major social media platforms. Through my website, kellyhumphreys.com, you can contact me for speaking in workshops as well as purchase my first book, Unscathed Beauty. If you found any of the content today distressing, please reach out to appropriate support agencies in your country. For emergencies, contact your local law enforcement agency.